Last week, we began our series in Ecclesiastes, Living Life Backward. We learned that apart from God, life is truly meaningless. Kind of a, a, a depressing book, um, maybe, you know, the topic itself. Uh, Mark began the first, uh, last week with the first 11 verses in chapter 1, and what probably stood out, or, or maybe what stood out, was all the talking about death. It was it's just kind of kind of a downer, um, and and uh, this this uh, idea this introduction with death it, it it is so true. I mean, he does speak uh, he speaks a lot about death in the first chapter and the second, and I, I think he just keeps going on. Um, but Solomon isn't trying to teach us about death. He's trying to help us to learn about life with a healthy perspective. And so this morning, I want to I want to first begin by finishing chapter 1 in Ecclesiastes. And I'm going to tell you, if you were here last week, uh, you'll probably, all the main ideas and points, you already heard them. Um, and if you weren't, well, then you didn't miss much last week, because I'm going to repeat much of what, of what Mark said. Um, but what Solomon starts with is, is what his pursuit is, his pursuit, of, her, his pursuit of meaning and happiness. And then the next... Um, Half, half chapter, and then all the next chapter is how he goes about doing it. So we actually get to see Solomon's journey as he tried to find meaning in life. Now, I, I'm going to use a lot of scripture today. It'll be on the screen, but I'm doing that not because uh, I just want to read a, a lot of scripture throughout the service. You can do that on your own, but in order to see how, we really need to see how he did it, and he says it a lot better than I can. And so uh, begin with me then in Ecclesiastes 1, verse 12. It says this, I, the teacher, was king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my mind to study and to explore by wisdom all that is done under the heavens. What a heavy burden God has laid on mankind. I've seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. Verse 16, I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I have experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly, but I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. So to begin, Solomon was the king, and we're assuming that Solomon wrote Ecclesiastes. It was him or someone like him, but for the sake of it just being easy, and I think it was him, I'm going to say that this was Solomon, and he was the king, and he had a great responsibility. He ruled over a kingdom, and he took this responsibility more seriously than I think anyone really could, because he didn't just try to figure out how to run the kingdom or how to be the best king. He wanted to figure out how to live life, and he could share with other people how, uh, the best way to go about living life. He tried to focus on wisdom and knowledge first, as well as the opposite, madness and folly. Neither gave him the answer he was looking for. See, I'm kind of ruining it again, the sermon, uh, ahead of time, because we're going to see how he does this. And he ends this section with these words, For with much wisdom comes much sorrow, the more knowledge, the more grief. What an idea here. It's like the, the quote, uh, Uncle Ben says to Spider-Man, with great power comes great responsibility. I think that was stolen from a guy named Voltaire. But either way, what he's trying to say, it sounds like, is, well, if, it'd be better just to be ignorant, to go through life and not to have wisdom. 
Maybe he's saying it'd be better not to know the Bible and not to know who Jesus is and, and, and not, to, not to care about anyone else's problems, but just to coast through. But we know he doesn't feel that way. He had such a great burden placed on him, and I assume that when someone has that much of a burden, they will find answers or they will die trying. And so that's what he, that's what he does. He goes, and he goes on to try uh, throughout his life, find these answers. And so we continue on this morning in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, and we see in detail Solomon's pursuit of the meaning of life. Uh, chapter 2, verse 1. I said to myself, come now, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. So right away, first verse, he shows what is the goal. He is trying to find out what is good. But that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, I said, is madness. And what does pleasure accomplish? I tried cheering myself with wine and embracing folly. My mind still guiding me with wisdom. And that's very important because we might try all those things that he just listed, but we're only doing it because, well, that's just what we uh, have been told is okay. He's, he actually has a reason behind it. He's not just living this party life to, to just do it and enjoy it and be good. He's trying to figure out what, how can we live life that brings happiness. I wanted to see what was good for people. See, it's not just about him to do under the heavens during their few days of their lives. And what a big responsibility. Um, last night I was, I was reading this again and, and uh, doing my final preparations. And I, actually, I thought I was done. But then I, I saw something that I think is really important. See, he, he, he comes up with this list of, uh, I tried laughter, I tried money, I tried alcohol. And he goes through it. It's like, nope, check, nope, check, try this, check. Nothing works. But I didn't, I, didn't know, I didn't realize at first there was an order to this. Now, think about this. The journey of, of a young person, maybe someone who's college age, or um, not that we want this to be the journey, but what do young people try out? He says he tried out laughter, pleasure, and wine. He tried to live, with, you know, live through pleasure and just enjoying life and being happy and, and the party life. That's, his, that's the first thing he tried. Well, that's, that's kind of what the first thing many young people try, is, is those things. So I, there is an order uh, to his sequence here, and we're going to see that play out. Once there was a, a little boy who lived in the country. They didn't have a bathroom in the house, which I know for the young people this would be hard to understand, but, uh, but instead of a bathroom, they had what's called an outhouse. Luckily, the fall festival was just going on, and, and you saw those little porta potties, uh, which is kind of like an outhouse. It's a bathroom outside. And so uh, the little boy, they had one, and they didn't have a bathroom, and he hated it because it was, it was hot in the summer, it was cold in the winter, and it stunk all the time. Um, the outhouse was sitting on the bank of a creek, and the boy determined that one day he was going to push that into the creek. And uh, on, on, that, on a day that the, the rain had raised the water, the little boy decided that today was going to be that day. And so he got a large stick, and he, and he pushed it in, and it, it fell into the creek and floated away. Well, that night, his dad told him that he was, they were going to the woodshed after supper, knowing that meant that he was going to, uh, he was going to be spanked, he was going to be punished for that. The little boy asked why. The dad replied, well, someone pushed the outhouse into the creek today. It was you, wasn't it, son? The boy said yes. Then he thought for a moment. He said, Dad, I, I read in school today that George Washington chopped down a cherry tree, and he didn't get in trouble because he told the truth. The dad replied, well, son, George, George Washington's father wasn't in the cherry tree. <laughs> Man, 
Man, that's disturbing. I can't believe you'd laugh at that. <laughs> well, I wanted to check Solomon's uh, his idea that the laughter was meaningless, and, and that joke was meaningless. He was right. I just wanted to tell a joke. So, so Solomon continues. I undertook great projects. I built houses for myself and planted vineyards. I made gardens and parks and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made reservoirs to water groves of flourishing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had other slaves who were born in my house. I also owned more herds and flocks than anyone in Jerusalem before me. Now, remember the first part was, was the, maybe the college age or, or really young adult, but after you realize that doesn't play out, that doesn't work so well, and I can't live like this the rest of my life, What's the next step people, people take? It's the young professional. He start, it looks a little different, but projects, houses, vineyards, gardens, slaves, herds, flocks. This guy was starting his career because he was trying to find meaning now in work and, and rising to the top. Verse 8, I amassed silver and gold for myself, the treasure of kings and provinces. I acquired male and female singers and a harem as well, the delights of a man's heart. I became greater by far, uh, by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me, and all this my wisdom stayed with me. And so he started this career, and he's going after building things, and, and now he, he says silver and gold and treasures and, and a harem. So he still has this pleasure that he's trying to, you know, trying to find happiness through that. But he says, I became greater by far than anyone in Jerusalem before me. He is rising to the top. I mean, he's looking at maybe his, his, his checking account or savings, maybe he's to the point of looking at his retirement accounts, but, but he is rising to the top. He became greater than anyone else in Jerusalem. So the party life didn't work. And then he tries, tries this career and trying to find his meaning in his job and, and uh, accumulating things, the silver and gold. He says in verse 10, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. Anything you could, you could get? He took it. My heart took delight in my labor. This was the reward for my toil. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had, what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. In this whole journey that, he's, that he started, as many young people do, when, when you know, the students get out of high school, I, I hope you, you take notes here. I, I think this might be more for for a young person, uh, because for some of us who have, who've lived through some of this, it's like, well, I've learned this a little bit, but man, this is, this is good stuff here. He's trying to, to live the party life. He's trying to find happiness through his job. If I can just get, you know, get this and that, then I'm going to be happy. And no, he was left disappointed. It didn't work. The great human pursuit is happiness. That's what we like to think. Solomon had absolutely everything possible that we would think would make us happy, yet he was disappointed. He learned something that many Americans, or, or probably just people in general, uh, we maybe have yet to learn, that the pursuit of happiness does not exist. Now, I know the Declaration of Independence gives the freedom to pursue happiness. There is freedom to pursue it, but Solomon says it's not going to happen unless you find out what he did, which we're going to get to at the end. We Christians str struggle with this. I, I read this, that we, we do this by living as if our greatest treasures are here and now. We display our sense of permanence by our lifestyle choices, the homes we live in, the money we spend, the churches we build, the investments we pursue, and the priorities we live for. We strive and strain for the same kind of gain 
as everyone else around us. We get caught up in, in it. If, if the other people are pursuing that and, you know, uh, there's, there's 100 people walking this direction, I don't know if I'm going to walk this direction. Maybe I'll just be, the, be in the front of the line there. But as Solomon learned, it didn't work. Now, happiness does exist. We've experienced happiness at different points in our life. Solomon doesn't say that happiness doesn't exist. He says that the pursuit of happiness is dangerous. Let's see why. Verse 12, he says, Then I turn my thoughts to consider wisdom and also madness and folly. See, these are the opposite. He's saying, all right, you have a choice. You can live a good, clean, wholesome life, or you can live like Charlie Sheen. Your choice. And his answer... What more can the king's successor do than what he has already what has already been done? I saw that wisdom is better than folly, just as light is better than darkness. Very quickly he answers that it is better to live a good, clean, wholesome life uh, than to live like Charlie Sheen. He 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 tried it. He what in a way he was kind of the first Charlie Sheen. Uh, maybe not 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 that bad. I, I shouldn't have said that. Uh, we'll give more credit to Solomon, but he tried the lifestyle. He really did. And, and even in his wisdom, because he wanted to know what was good, and that wasn't good. Now, after seeing the great human pursuit of happiness, uh, these next few, th- the next few verses lead us to the permanent human problem. Verse 14, The wise have eyes in their heads, while the fool walks in the darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate overtakes them both. And I said to myself, The fate of the fool will overtake me also. What then do I gain by being wise? I said to myself, this too is meaningless, for the wise, like the fool, will not be long remembered. The days have already come when both have been forgotten. So like the fool, the wise too must die. The permanent human problem is death. The same fate overtakes them both. Like the fool, the wise must too die. Those are some strong points there. We will all die, wise with wisdom or, or being a fool. Solomon is basically saying that wisdom, pleasure, work, possessions, they're these bubbles that insulate our reality, and his bubble, or his needle, the sharp point he uses to burst the bubbles, is death. It, it takes away uh, this pursuit, because it will end it. But this is a tough concept to grasp. Um, and I have to tell you, I, I love these verses here. I love the idea, uh, because there's this idea that I've heard spoken many times in churches, and uh, especially I hear people talking at visitations and funerals, and, and I really try to listen. It's the idea that when, when someone dies, it was, it was because it was their time to go. I think that's how we like to word it. Um, it. The definition for this idea is this, the belief that all events are predetermined and therefore inevitable. Now, the word that descri- that, that definition describes is fatalism. Fatalism's definition is the belief that all events are predetermined and therefore inevitable. And I think that idea is why we, we say it was just their time to go. And although Solomon says that, yes, we all have the same fate, it is death, I don't believe this idea is, is a, a predetermined death is logical or biblical. Now, I, I say this, and I've, I've had some conversations after first service already. Um, I understand why we, we believe this, and I understand that, this, that what I'm going to say next that it may not apply in the same sense to one person as to someone else. But there's an idea behind this based off of what Solomon is saying. And so we're going to start with the Bible. We actually read this in my Sunday school class a while back. It's Proverbs 22.3. It says, The prudent see danger and take refuge, 
but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. The prudent or the wise, they see danger and they stop, or they, they seek shelter, or they realize this isn't a good idea. I'm not going to walk down this path anymore. And it says uh, the simple, well, that would be like the foolish, they see that same danger and they just keep going. Okay? Um, if, if, I, if I apply that to real life, so now, now we're getting logical, and I believe that everyone has their time to go, why would I or anyone else see danger and stop? What would be the point? I would have that young mentality that, that I'm invincible. Uh, it's, if it's not my time, it's not my time. If it is, it is. If I eat fast food every day, I don't exercise, I smoke, I drink too much, um, and, and, uh, and I die of a, let's say I, I, I die young and I have, I have a heart attack and die, would you say um, it was his time to go or maybe, maybe he, uh, he did some things to make that happen? Maybe, maybe his lack of exercise and, and eating completely unhealthy maybe led to that. Um, you, you'd probably be nice and say, well, it was his time to go because you wouldn't want to put that on me like that. But if I go to the bar tonight and I drink excessively and I'm driving home and I cross over um, the, 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 into the other lane and I hit someone head on and they die, would you say, that person was killed because of a drunk driver? Or would you say it was, it was just their time to go? See, the wisdom that, that Solomon is telling us, we have to live with wisdom. I wanted to spend time on this because I feel it's, it's a teachable moment, but, but because this idea of the fate of death, it doesn't mean we live to die, but we live in spite of the fact that we will die. But we still have to live with wisdom. We still have been entrusted a life to be stewards of and to make good decisions and to follow God's teachings and not just to say, well, whatever happens, happens. It would, you know, that just happened because it was, it was time. So after pursuing happiness, realizing that death is inevitable, Solomon realizes just a little longer, um, he finally puts it in perspective. Uh, not just yet, just a little bit more. He's working through this still. So verse 17, he says, So I hated life, because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun, because I must leave them to the one who comes after me. And who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish, yet they will have control over the fruit of my toil into which I have poured my effort and skill under the sun. This too is meaningless. Man, it's, it's finally starting to hit him. I think this is like a midlife crisis. I think if they had sports cars, he would own one right then. I don't know if they did. Maybe like a sports horse or donkey. or Yeah, you know what I'm saying. Um, but but that's it. Just he just he just came to this realization. I, I tried to pursue happiness and that didn't work. And then I tried my career and I tried to gain things and yeah, no, none of it works. It, it's all uh, it's all uh, it's all failed. We take care of our homes and our yards and our vehicles. We 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 work uh, to leave our job better than when we started there. But he says we don't know what the next person will do. Uh, you know, we live in the house. I, I bought a house from, from uh, some people who had lived there, oh, from a lady who had lived there for 50-some years. And then I didn't take care of the weeds in the yard. And my neighbors told me, hey, uh, the, the lady who used to live there, she wouldn't have let that happen. So I, I had to take care of the weeds. But, uh, but you know, maybe I, maybe I didn't. Uh, maybe uh, that, that car that, that Mark mentioned last week that's going to end up in the dumpster, but we get so attached to it, maybe I buy that car from him and I don't change the oil. And, uh, and, I, and I don't clean it at all, and, and I just I, I run over every curve, and it, it just I don't care about the car. 
and, and how, would, how would that make him feel? You know, and, and I think this idea that what we have now, we will not have, someone else will have control of it at some point. Um, maybe, maybe the company falls apart when you leave. The, the idea here is that we don't have a clue. We really don't know. We can work to build up our little kingdoms on earth, but eventually someone else will be the king of that temporary kingdom, of that little kingdom. And he finishes his rant. This is the last stuff that I would say is negative. So my heart began to despair over all my, my toilsome labor under the sun. For a person may labor with wisdom, knowledge, and skill. Then they must leave all they own to another who has not toiled for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What do people get for all the toil and anxious striving with which they labor under the sun? All their days their work is grief and pain. Even at night their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. He asked this question, what did you gain for all the work and the anxious striving and not sleeping at night? Not much. That's the answer. And after all this, we finally get to the good stuff. It's the solution. Three more verses is all we're going to read. And I think after all the seeking and wrestling and complaining, he finally gets to the, to the solution. Verse 24, a person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too, I see, is from the hand of God. For without him, who can eat or find enjoyment? To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, he gives the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. The true human perspective, it's summed up in two words. God gives. That's it. If you walk out of here with remembering nothing else, you need to remember just those two words. God gives. After all his pursuits, Solomon comes to the conclusion that happiness, contentment, meaning, satisfaction, whatever else you want to call it, it actually does exist. Remember, the pursuit of happiness was dangerous. But happiness itself, itself, it does exist, but it's not earned. We're going to get to that even more. That's very important. It's not earned. We, we don't think that way. To the person who pleases him, the person who pleases God, God gives wisdom, knowledge, and happiness. But to the sinner, I think what he's saying is the one who lives apart from God, he gets the task of gathering and storing up wealth to hand it over to the one who pleases God. See, the one who lives for God actually gets more. The one who doesn't has it all taken away. To the one who does not live to please God, there is no meaning. There is no permanent happiness. There is no permanent satisfaction. There is no permanent contentment. To live apart from God, you won't have that. Truly, there is no gain in life as life is a gift, not gain. If you make it about gaining, you're going to lose it. But if you live to please God, it will be given. My favorite, favorite part, uh, or fa favorite uh, quote that I read, life is meant to be enjoyed, not mastered. Life is meant to be enjoyed, not mastered. Uh, I think this idea is because we project happiness. We project what my life will be like if only. And so I lived in Athens, and I had a smaller house. And I thought, if we have a basement, uh, I will feel happier. And if we have... Um, if we have uh, an attached garage, which, or no, a, a porch or a patio, something to sit outside on. That'll make me happy. And uh, if we have two bathrooms, that would make my wife happy. She said that. Um, 
And, and we do. We live in a bigger house, and there's some really good things. We have a basement, and we have a patio, um, and, uh, and we have two bathrooms. And we've had to uh, replace one sink, and we've had to fix plumbing in one bathroom. And the bugs bite outside when I sit out there, and I, it takes me longer to mow. Now, again, I'm not complaining, but in my mind, my thought was, if I have this, I will be completely happy, and everything will be perfect. And there's the good, but then you have the bad. And first service, I talked about how I was a youth minister in Athens, and I talked really bad about all the students, but some of them have joined us today, so I've decided I'm not going to talk bad about that. <laughs> no, I, I actually said that, um, that when I was a youth minister, I had problems sometimes. I was trying to help students, and I really loved that very much, and I love you guys. And, and, uh, and, but then when I start working with adults more, then that will go away. And, and I realized that actually the problems are just bigger, um, and adults are bigger crybabies than kids. Uh, <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. You guys are going to be voting on me soon. I, I shouldn't have said that. Um, there must be a sound thing going on. But, um, but we project, and, and what this quote means, this Life is meant to be enjoyed, not mastered. What I should have been doing was living in that house there and in enjoying the house that I had that day. And when I was a youth group, I should have enjoyed more what I had then instead of what I will have. And today, I should enjoy what I have now, the house that I live in, the relationships I have, instead of thinking, well, what's next? What can I earn that will bring me happiness? Because today hasn't fully brought me complete happiness so I'm just looking ahead to what's next. And the truth is, I'll be up at, at that point in some place, whether it's, uh, um, I don't really know where else, what else I can do that would make me happier. But if I could think of something, it wouldn't happen. Because I would look and think, and then I would say, man, I, I had it pretty good there, or I really enjoyed that part of life. And I, and I didn't stop and, uh, as my grandma said, stop and smell the roses, right? Um, we just, we have to enjoy what's around us. The perspective that we need is simply this. God gives and fill in the blank and enjoy that. I read some pretty good stuff in preparing this message. Uh, Solomon uh, says in Ecclesiastes 2.24, there is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. And that sounds similar. We enjoy what we've been given. And you may have heard the nihilistic creed that says, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. Now, the nihilist says that because that is all there is to life. We eat, drink, we be merry, and then we die, and, and that was it. We just enjoyed what we could. Solomon says it because that is what we have been given in life right now. What God gives us are rewards in themselves. We enjoy life for what it is, not so that we can make it into something else that maybe we'll be happy. And so we ask then, what if our work was never intended to be successful, to make us successful, but simply to make us faithful? And generous. I feel like most Christians have this down pretty good, this idea that at some point in our life, in our faith, because of, of God's grace through Jesus, that, that we have a way to heaven. I think most Christians have understood that, and I, I get that, um, and I think about that often. But today, after reading Solomon, I hope that you also remember that God is the provider of life today. Now, I don't think about that as much. I don't think about it uh, how God has given me everything right now, but I think about what he's given me for later. But God is the provider of both our temporary and eternal lives. That makes us dependent on him, uh, of him. And as we go about our week, my hope then is that you live with this knowledge of God giving today and tomorrow. And if you're here the next day and the next day, whatever you have, 
God has given that. Don't try to make it into something it's not. Enjoy it for what it is. Now, we work. See, we, we, have, we practice discipline and wisdom, and the truth is we could mess this all up. Even what God gives us, we can waste it and we can lose it. Those are options. But, but the meaningless in life will be there no matter what. Even if you think you're doing a good job, it'll still be meaningless if you don't accept it for what it is, a gift from God. You will never be content or satisfied as you will always be pursuing more, holding on to your possessions and uh, just a little too tight, putting your security in, in stuff that it shouldn't be in. So as you go about your week, remember that the provision that God made by sending Jesus to die on the cross in, in your place, the idea of, of a horrible death on a cross, just that, that uh, even a few hours sounds horrible, but that's nothing compared to the eternal death that we would have in hell apart from God apart from Jesus and, and his goodness forever. But there is one solution and two words, and it's this, God gives. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for giving. Thank you for giving Jesus uh, on the cross in our place. Uh, thank you for making a way to heaven and to be with you, and thank you for today. And so, God, I just ask that, um, that as, we, as we move about our day, um, that we remember uh, what you've done for us, uh, both eternally and, and temporary, um, that this life is completely 100% a gift from you, and for that we are thankful. Thank you so much for Jesus, and it's his name I pray. Amen. If you haven't accepted this gift of life, um, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> if, if you just haven't really thought about it, and, and, and you know maybe that you can buy into that, that there is a gift uh, that God has given us today and tomorrow, and we can enjoy that. Um, as much as we want that satisfaction and happiness now, we need a lot more than that. We need a, we need a way to heaven. We need a way to, to Jesus. Uh, I don't want to think of heaven as a location, but we need a way to be eternally with God forever, and he has given us that way through Jesus Christ. And if you haven't made a decision to put your trust in Jesus and to accept him as your Lord and Savior, I would ask that you would, you would do so. Just come forward and talk to me or a prayer counselor after the service.